podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, quick bit of housekeeping for you before we start the show. And this is only relevant to those of you who listen to us on the Apple Podcast app or via Apple. So if you don't move along, as the great Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, nothing to see here. But if you do listen to us via Apple, listen carefully, particularly if you're an old school listener of the show. Before we became the Nat Coombs show on ESPN, when we were the NFL show, you would have got the show updated when we moved without having to do a thing. But that's because the old show had a divert put on it. So to check, you're subscribed to the new feed because the old one is going to go pretty soon. Check out the Nat Coombs show. Search for it on the app via the podcast browse section or the store section if you're looking on the desktop and find our show and see if it shows whether you're subscribed or not. If you are, great, you're on the right feed. If you're not, hit subscribe and delete the old one. So head on over, not in your library, but actually onto Apple. Search the Nat Coombs show. Make sure you're subscribed to the feed that you find. Simple. Good luck. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show on ESPN. Another goodie coming your way. You might remember the books pod we did a couple of weeks back with Stig Abel recommending our favorite American sporty books. Well, it got us thinking, why stop there? Why not look elsewhere beyond literature to movies? And who else to get us into our favorite American sporting movies but an old friend of the show, somebody I've worked with a lot over the years who's done so much for the NFL in this country. I am delighted to chat some celluloid goodness with the brilliant Vernon K. Vern, I've been looking forward to this pod <laughs> more than anything else, I think, in the last week. When we, just, we were messaging each other last week and said, let's do a film pod. Yeah, brilliant. And that's all I've been thinking about. <laughs> well, there's so many out there, aren't there? There are so many great sporting movies and, uh, you know, in particular, American football or football. Yeah. But there are, there are several, the thing with sporting movies is, is they're all relatable. So it doesn't matter what level of sports fan you are, be it Caddyshack, oh, you know, be talking? it Mean Machine, uh, or The Great Escape. Yeah. All sports yeah. movies are relatable to sports fans because you understand the context in which the sport is used as a tool within the movie. Yes. You know, so The Great Escape, it's not necessarily about the football match. It's Hang about on, escape, escape to Victory. Or escape the to great, victory. Yes, I beg your pardon. Escape to Victory. Because The Great yeah. Escape could maybe sneak in. <laughs> yeah. You've got Steve McQueen with his baseball. A little bit of baseball. He's got his baseball, so I reckon that Yeah, works. there's a little bit of baseball in there, uh, and a lot of target shoot practice. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, so the, the sport is always used as, as, as an anchor for the main story. You know, and, and that's why I think sports fans love a good sports movie because no matter what it is, whatever sport, the passion of that sport always flips over into the narrative of the movie. Right. Like, let's be honest. Uh, Adam Sandler has never made a good movie. Oh, I disagree. Have you seen Uncut Gems? That's not really an Adam Sandler movie, is it? Is it? I know he did it, but if you were to say Uncut Gems, is it a stereotypical Adam Sandler movie? No, no, right? no and that's probably why it's good. Okay, so point I, I would imagine that Adam Sandler's quite gutted because he's gone into this serious acting role and he's been raised to a different level. 
You know what I mean? Like, his acting is phenomenal. And for years, he's been making these dreadful comedy movies. Does, you know he, I mean? does he care when he's got a regular in 20 million a film? I often wonder. Hell no. no. And he shouldn't care yeah. because it works. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. I, I, I remember we, we were on Radio 1 and, and Adam Sandler came in and he, and he was talking about that... Uh, oh, what's it called? It's about the... Uh, I think it's the Palestinian hairdresser. Oh, oh God, yeah, Zol- Zoltan, it's called. Something, yeah, something so, Zoltan, yeah. Something, yeah, yeah. something about the Zoltan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he came in and, and instead of doing the junket, he, he very kindly came into Radio 1 and we had a chat. Mm. Uh, and it was in the early days of when Radio 1 had just installed cameras in the studio. So right. it was that birth of Twitter and social media and, oh, let's, let's put it out on the internet, this interview. So, yeah, great. And we did the interview and at the end of it, he went, oh, man, I was desperate to stop the interview because you are sweating like a fire hydrant. Look at the colour of your shirt and your armpits, man. I'm like, but I just went with it, so that's cool. And I'm like, good, buddy. Do you know what I was, I was thinking? When, you know, thinking of this, like I say, it's all I've been thinking about. When we were doing, because a lot of our listeners will know, of course, you and I did, did Channel 4 together for a number of years, and so two things about this so i was in, in terms of movies i was remembering this one time i think it was the first year we were doing the highlight show at the sports bar we remember we recorded it on location the sports bar and i rocked up and i just bought this ill-conceived in retrospect i bought, I bought this orange puffer waistcoat like a, it's a gilet burn um uh which uh was very bright orange and i walked in and we were doing this show you'll remember with maybe a hundred fans were there as the kind of audience and we kind of record bits of different locations, walked in. I think I was running late and we were waiting to get going. So the place was packed. The crew were waiting. Everyone was waiting, kind of burst in. Hey, sorry, I'm late. How you doing? <laughs> you just you remember this? You just said, where'd you park your X-Wing, Nat? <laughs> <laughs> what a line. I love that line. It was a, Yeah, that was a damn good gilet. Uh, it was a great gilet. Well, it's it was, still it was, sitting in the wardrobe. But if, if you, yeah, it just looked like Luke Skywalker had just walked into the room after blowing up the uh, Death Star with Han Solo. Oh, they, that, is, that has always been our dynamic. It's my Skywalker to your Han Solo. <laughs> I think that's what, how, we, how we ran that hey, hey, But, but let, let me just skip back. If there are any Adam Sandler fans listening and I've upset you uh, by not being a fan of, of some of his comedy classics, I apologise because I said something derogatory recently about Jack Black. Oh, my goodness me. Oh, my goodness me. Unbelievable. And it was interesting. I got a handful of, you know, the the, uh, the Richard Heads like to jump on board on Twitter, <laughs> shall we right. say. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the majority of them, well, I said the majority of them, 99% of Jack Black fans that came on my Twitter feed to support him uh, all had Star Trek, Star Wars, or yeah. Battlestar Galactica in their profile picture or profile banner. <laughs> original <laughs> Battlestar Galactica or <laughs> yeah. if, you got, if you got the face the face was in wasn't the face in Battlestar yeah. Galactica that Didn't unex- Benedict or something like that Dirt Benedict yeah yeah yeah, yeah, the face yeah. so we're talking movies and uh, it's a shame that this is a podcast because as you can see Nat mm. uh, I've come today uh, as my kind of Covid lockdown uh, hero uh, probably the greatest quarterback ever to appear in cinema uh, Uncle Rico from uh, Napoleon Dynamite. 
you have come <laughs> Uncle Rico. So for, for, we're going to try to push some of this video out on social as well. But for all of you listening right now, I would yeah. describe, you've got, yeah, you've always had great hair, Vern. I think it's fair, it's fair to say, but you've added, added the, the bit of facial hair. <laughs> to yeah, it as well. it's, it's quite difficult for me to grow, but because we're in lockdown and we've taken lockdown very seriously, you know, because mm. it is a pandemic and from the horror stories that we've heard from some of our close friends who've had COVID-19. It is horrific. Uh, it's, it's brutal and it's not to be messed with. So I know we've been told that we can go to work, don't go to work, stay indoors, go out and socialize. Trust me, from what we've heard from our close friends, and yeah. there's two or three of them who've had COVID-19, do not go out until it's safe. Yeah. Because it's horrific. It's absolutely yeah. horrific. Anyway, so well said. because you're locked down, I thought, you know what? I'm going to see how much of a beard I can actually grow because <laughs> I was always that kid. I didn't start puberty till sixth form. Do you know what I mean? So it was always difficult as a teenager for me growing up. Like everyone's <laughs> like kicking on six foot three and I'm way behind with a voice like this. Were so you, you, that's interesting. So when did you, cause you're tall. So when did, when did you shoot up? Were you sort of 16, 17? Yeah, it was the summertime between lower six and upper six. Right, yeah. And uh, bringing it back to football, I'd just spent three weeks in Seattle with my uh, uncle and auntie and, and cousins. And uh, I went there, I think I was like five, six, five, seven, and came back six foot four. Lucky and, hell. Yeah, no word of a lie, someone actually asked me who I was on the return to sixth form in upper six. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Who are you? It's me, you idiot. It's me, you idiot. I'm an exchange student from Seattle. The, yeah. uh, that's incredible. So was that when you got the bug for football when you went to Seattle? Or was it before that? No, I had it before that. And uh, I just bought, I, I saved up, I, I was running two jobs at the time. One was packing bananas and the other one was cleaning schools, uh, summer holidays. And, I had loads of spending money and I blew it all in the first week in places like Dick's Sporting Goods. Yep. Uh, the Seahawks memorabilia shop. It just all went. I, I think I've got, I've got loads of rookie cars of Seahawks players past who you've never heard of. Yeah. 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 But I love uh, those. I love that. I've got a stack of cars kind of kicking around football, baseball. I like the, 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 periphery players that kind of maybe had a cup of coffee and bounced around for a couple of years. I think, what are they doing now? Sometimes I look them up. Like I, I got given, I think one birthday, a kind of stack of old, like a box of old baseball cards. And it's you know, from the, a lot of 70s. So actually a lot of facial hair, quite similar to what I'm looking at right now, but to be fair. And it, yeah. what happened to this guy? What happened to That's Dirk? I, love it. I, love it. Like, I was looking at, um, funnily enough, uh, somehow I, like Darren Fletcher, I do the fumble with, he's, yeah. he's obsessed with memorabilia and uh, merchandise. Mm. So every, we've been chatting regularly and every day he pops up in a different Chicago Bears uniform. <laughs> I, he's unbelievable. Uh, he must have a separate bank account that his missus doesn't see for <laughs> memorabilia because he's got like the Bear best shirt. apparel. He's, he's very, very, very well dressed when it comes to sports apparel. Um, <laughs> and on, on, the, on the fumble, we were talking about a few bits and pieces and we did this podcast and it was when the Seahawks were over. Remember when they were saying yeah, that they were yeah. And talking about old players and where are they now. I remember, you remember Jacob Green, the defensive end for the Seahawks? Yeah, vaguely, vaguely. Yeah. Well, I had 
we've got a storage unit, uh, and it's just full of junk. And it's, I'm, I'm quite, I'm a hoarder. I'll put it out there to the public. Like, I don't <laughs> throw anything away. I like to keep stuff because I'm quite sentimental. And I found a stack of old, I must have been 13, so I don't know what the equivalent is now of school year. So I was 13, mm. and all I used to back, remember you used to back your books? Yeah, 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 yeah. I used to back my books in the centre spread of First Down. Oh, mate, that is uncanny. I did exactly the same thing. That yeah. Exactly the same so, thing. Backing your books in American football posters. And one of them was Jacob Green. And we, we were set to interview Jacob Green and a couple of others at the Grove for the football. Right. Yeah. But I'll see if I can find that book. And I found it. Right. So then what I did, I reverted back to another box of memories that I've got, which was of my Seattle trip, photographs, uh, Seahawks memorabilia. I got a baseball cap signed by Dave Craig, Steve Largent, wow. other yeah, great yeah, players. Yeah. Uh, and I found this annual. Uh, it must have been the pre ninety 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 one season, like a yearbook. And Jacob Green had signed it, right? So I said, "Oh, we, I, first thing I said to him was, Jacob, we've met before.'" He was like. I did, I'm glad he didn't try and style it out. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've met before. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, we met in ni- the summer of 1990 in camp. Uh, he went, no way. I went, yep. And to prove it, there's your autograph. Oh, brilliant. Right? And literally, the guy freaked out. Like, we, we had to stop for a second. And he's like, this is just too weird. I come to the UK and I meet the guy. And he's, yeah, that is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but I love doing that what you said of finding out where, where players are and I did it recently with Mike Tomzak remember the backup quarterback yeah I do there? I do yeah 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 to run the league he's now like a, an assistant coach in some high school yeah and, and American footballers I think business CEOs must love just having a former NFL player on the board yes because you see a lot of former players like I'm on the board of, of Technoelectric. Like, what the hell is that? Like, no one, no, you know, all these companies that are so obscure, but the CEO just wants and then a former NFL player as a friend. To play board. golf with, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one of those weird jobs as well you see is, um, or regular jobs you see, which is always quite, strikes me as quite strange, is a, a greeter or a, sometimes they're spun as like a PR guy for a Vegas or if they're not quite as high profile, a Reno <laughs> a casino. So yeah, that's obviously a kind of gig that a lot of ex-pros get. It's just, I guess, just kind of hanging around and talking to high rollers. And Oh, that's funny. Life yeah, in Vegas. that's what they must do. That's like my favourite player of all time, Ronnie Lott. I think that he's on yeah. the board of a couple of companies. So, nice yeah, so my, my facial get-up, getting back to the beginning of the story, yeah. Uncle yeah, yeah. Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, just had a shower, that's why I was a little bit late. I thought, I'll leave it on. Yeah. Give it style it out as the old Uncle Rico. I think it looked pretty cool. Are you gonna go further? Are we gonna go are we going Tom Selleck with the Tash? Is that where we're heading? Um I think I'm gonna leave it at that. Mm. It, it, it's, not, it's like I'm gonna end up looking like blooming I don't know. Some of those actors that you might find on a VHS that's been thrown at the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> This is the worldwide leader, Vernon. We can't, we can't talk about that. Right. Speaking of movies, let, let's get, let's get down to business because we've got, we got a ton. And frankly, I, I'm, I am sensing a recurring pod here because there's no way we can, we can cover all the sporting movies we want to, we want to talk about in one pod. What, what, let's start yeah. with football because we're going to look at um, American sports is broadly the catchment for today anyway, right? Yeah. 
But uh, we'll start with football as we are primarily a football pod. So where do you want to go? I know what your, I think I know what your favourite football movie of all time is. I've got two. It's one I've of the Wildcats. Is one of them, one of them. One of them is Wildcats. Okay. Um, it's, it stars Goldie Hawn, a very young Wesley Snipes. Yep. And a very young Woody Halson. Now, according to IMDb, this was the debut of both of those actors, but I'm pretty sure movie debut. I'm pretty yes. sure it was the actual movie debut of Wesley Snipes, but I think that Woody Harrelson had been in something before. Was I know he in Cheers by then? He was in Cheers, yeah, he was okay. the barman. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I think as far as movie debuts go, I think it's Wesley Snipes' movie debut. And it's a really good pre- – the premise of the film is Goldie Hawn has been brought up as the daughter of uh, a record-breaking football head coach. She's been – taught football, she knows football inside out, and she's desperate for a job. She's the track athletics coach of some very posh high school, and she applies for the varsity football team coaching job. She doesn't get it. Uh, and then the regional director of sports says, yeah, well, I know where there's a school that you can coach football. And she's like, yeah, great, I'll take it. And it's this downtrodden uh, urban high school in the middle of nowhere, you know, crime is high, blah, 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 blah. You know the stereotypes that are portrayed in the movie. And she takes the job, and the rest is history. And it's brilliant. It's got really bad jokes. <laughs> uh, it's, the acting is, like, perfect Goldie Hawn movie. She's really funny, both physically. She's great, isn't she? This was at Goldie Hawn's sort of peak movie peak, yeah. wasn't it? Where she's she was... awesome. Like, she, I think she's a very, very underrated comedic actress in the I way that she agree. uses her body as well as her acting skills to tell a joke. Like she's yes. so funny. Great physical comic. She started out on a show in the, I think it must have been the late sixties in America called Rowan and Martin's Laughing, which was this kind of sketch show, which was really ahead of its time, like really subversive, had a lot of, so do you remember the gag of the Simpsons when they talk about Donald Trump being president and everyone talks about that? They yeah. did the same thing on Rowan and Martin's Laughing years ago. I just saw a clip on YouTube because everything's on YouTube where they kind of rock up and it's uh, all kind of quite psychedelic because it's the 60s and uh, they have heads popping up and, and they used to get massive stars in it. Like John Wayne, remember John Wayne rocked up and did a line, just appeared out of nowhere. And I'm sure it influenced the Muppets and things like that quite a lot. John Wayne yeah, just appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, they had a collective of actors on that, didn't they? A little bit like Saturday Night Live. Exactly. It was a real precursor to Saturday Night Live and Goldie yeah. Hawn was one of them, right? And uh, But they get, yeah, like Saturday Night Live, the biggest stars in, in the business doing guest spots on it. There's a one, and they just crop, crop up as well. So John Wayne just suddenly appears. And at, at the time he was, you know, one of the biggest film stars in, in the world. And uh, he did a line just saying something like, uh, uh, this guy once told me to shoot first and ask questions later. I was going to ask him why, but I had to shoot him first. <laughs> just stuff, <laughs> stuff like this just appears out of nowhere. And they did a gag on it. Uh, President Ronald Reagan. And this is like in 1968. <laughs> Because uh, I think Reagan had just got into politics and everyone's, everyone's pissing themselves. And, you know, that was a precursor to the Simpsons, Simpsons gag. So that's where she started anyway. And she was, she's terrific on that. So it's worth just finding some of that good stuff on, on YouTube. But Wildcats, 86, that is peak, peak Goldie Horn, isn't it? Oh, it, it, honest. It, it's so good. Uh, it's, uh, there's lots of innuendo, <laughs> uh, lots of football jokes, you know, kind of it, in-house football jokes as well. Yeah. 
What well, is that? How is good is the football action? Because that's going to come up. Oh, it's with terrible. Football. Yeah, it's so really terrible. All like, the better for it, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like the the continuity on this film is probably worse than any other movie you've seen. It's like they must have <laughs> said, "All right, guys, play football, and then we'll do some pickups." Yes. So they played a game of football, and then five weeks later, it seems they did the pickups where the players are in different uniforms, wearing different coloured <laughs> helmets. It's not even the same actor uh, playing the position of quarterback, running back, or wide receiver. Oh, like, it, it. It's horrendous. But because I was obsessed with football in 85, 86, when we used to go to the video shop, we used to always get Wildcats and the 1985 story of the Chicago Bears. Nice. And Crunch Time. Crunch the NFL time. hardest hitters. On oh, VHS. yeah, right. God, I remember that whole NFL VHS series. I had a few yeah. of them. I think I had yeah. a burrito so, one. Yeah. And in our video, video shop, if you bought three, you got two for the price of three. Nice. So I think it was like £2.50 for three movies. Yeah. You know, the good old days. The good so old we, days. Yeah, and, and like, I think it was like, you know, my mum and dad would get something like Blues Brothers or On Golden Pond. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then we'd get oh, golden. Great. <laughs> and then we'd get these football movies that we'd just sit and watch over and over and over again. And I managed to find the, the actual VHS of the story of the Chicago Bears and the VHS of Crunch Time. So every now and again, I go in into our, my kind of man shed, uh, the gazebo in, in the garden, and put on a bit of Wonder Years, Chicago Bears 85, oh, yeah. Crunch Time, and just sit there and kind of reminisce. There is something so we've you and I have spoken about it so many times in the past. There's something so calming and warm about films made in the serial. Like John Hughes, I guess, is the you know is the prototype and is the master of the of the genre, right? So pretty much anything John Hughes touched, it, it was representative of this. It's just and it's partly the I guess I was watching. Ferris Bueller uh, again the other day my two boys for the first time <laughs> watched it uh, and it was yeah it's on Netflix as a 12 right so I kind of figured alright well eh, it's kind of reaching a little bit for them but they're kind of they're old enough to get it 12's fine and you know we've seen the Avengers the Avengers is a 12 Ferris Bueller's definitely a 15 <laughs> I'm gonna, it's all I'm going to say well, then, uh, is it the language because the only thing that I can think of in Ferris Bueller is the nurse that knocks on the door the nurse knocks on the oh the no, oh yes I the nurse yeah you yes, were yes, feeling yes. ill headache <laughs> fever and a chill welcome <laughs> round to restore your book because I'm a nurse and loves to <laughs> it's definitely that the, oh. other I, the other one I did the other day was was planes trains and um and that is billed as a fifteen I was watching it with my eldest and. Uh, and I said, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll keep a kind of keen eye because I can't think of anything. And, you know, the, there's the website you'll know uh, as a dad, Common Sense Media, right? You look it up and just check, have I forgotten something? I thought, no, I know this film so well. Yeah, there's nothing. There's not, this is this is fine. It's candy. It's Martin. Uh, <laughs> we, got, we got to, the, <laughs> we got to the, the car rental bit. <laughs> that, was, that was quickly <laughs> sped over. So, yeah, I, yeah, I dropped the ball out. But these films, and Wildcats is one of them. It's obviously not in the in in in. It's close to many John Hughes films, I guess, in terms of overall, um, uh, you know, your overall positioning of that era. But it's it's absolutely representative of that. And we've all gotten those films that that we love that that take us back. Here's one for you. We'll move on because we've got a ton to look at. Can you name the uh, as you've watched Wildcats apparently over a hundred times? Can you name the uh, megastar rapper? 
who has gone on to a pretty successful career in movies and is actually going to come up a little bit later on in one of the movies we're talking about, who appeared in Wildcats and he's credited as rapper. Is it LL Cool J? It is LL Cool J, yeah, there you go. Oh, LL Cool J, that must be his first movie. Yeah, and the, and the guy who, who, one of the main stars in it, who gets recruited as the new quarterback, who takes Woody Harrelson's character's place in that film. Yeah. The guy that played Bubba Gump. Uh, you, you know, uh, yeah, in Forrest Gump. He played, played Bubba. I'm looking at it, uh, 22% on Rotten Tomatoes, Wildcats. <laughs> Wildcats yeah. Like if you if you're gonna watch it after this, the full movie is on. Uh, it's the full movie is definitely on YouTube. It's a, yeah, there's a lot, isn't there, that you can you can dig up on YouTube. All right, that, that's a great stick. Go and check it out. We'll push yeah, it. Yeah, and it's it's uh, Michael T. Williamson. Ah, nice. He played Bobby Benjamin Gump. Buford, but he also played uh, the main quarterback in Wildcats. Absolute classic. I'm just Love that. Scroll down on the. Oh, there it is. Yes, 1986 Wildcats. Let's let's roll. Let's roll to baseball. Wesley Snipes will kind of make that connection and talk Major League. So Major League came out in 1989 and did great business as well. I mean, it's a massive hit. And you had uh, you had Tom Berenger, who only a couple of years before had been gunning for an Oscar in Platoon. So that's quite a jump for, for Berenger to rock up in, in Major League. Uh, Wesley Snipes was in it. Uh, Corbin Burnson of LA Law fame, um, yeah. who. Looking into this more closely, they made a sequel, and then they also made Major League Three, and Birdson was the only original star, <laughs> original cast member to do it. All the others passed on that. So, wow. uh, loving that work from Birdson, uh, and of course Charlie Sheen, uh, 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 also in Platoon. So both Berenger and Charlie Sheen were both in Platoon and made that connection. Very similar. Well, I would say very similar characters, but same characters within the movie. Uh, you know, yes. Tom, Tom Berenger, kind of the dominant. Uh, experienced uh, father figure or leader yeah, yeah, the vet. in Platoon and Major League. And then Charlie Sheen, in, well, in Platoon he's young and innocent, but in, in Major League he's kind of the rock star, isn't he? The rock star, he billed as a convicted felon on work release from a Californian prison. Yeah. <laughs> I've forgotten that. that well, part most rock stars. Uh, like, right. And, and of course he is a, a pitcher that has can bring the heat, can't he? And, and the, the success of the team... Uh, starts to depend on on Sheen uh, bringing the heat, and uh, it's a typical story of a hapless team that suddenly comes good and gets momentum when they shouldn't, uh, and everyone thinks they're going to lose. And uh, Wesley Snipes plays Willie Mays Hayes. Um, there's also uh, Dennis Haysbert, who rocked up as the president in 24, I think, years later, plays the. Uh, what's his name in it? Uh, Pedro Serrano, uh, the the voodoo practicing Cuban import with significant power, and quite a few scenes in the film that are so racially stereotypical, almost certainly wouldn't be made, <laughs> wouldn't be allowed in a film now. But but no. Major League got away with it thirty years ago, um, and and seminal, of course, for for Charlie Sheen uh, coming out to Wild Thing. He, that this his nickname, and and when he comes onto the field, that's his music, and and. Again, classic 80s movie has that final feel good, putting the hair on the back of your neck on end. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, so those movies that we've talked about so far, Wildcats and Major League, I don't think, I can't think in this day and age of streaming, you know, and, and binge viewing box sets and movies, I don't think there's a movie that I can think of that would fit in that category of just really 
tell the story, very funny, nice uplifting ending. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I think of, it, I can't think of one. We so we're talking John Hughes, right? I was watching Drill Bit Taylor the other day with <laughs> with the kids, which and I didn't realize that was John Hughes' last movie. He's he's on it. He didn't he didn't direct it, but he was as the credits were rolling, his name rocked up. I think it was like a story credit. Maybe he co-wrote it. He didn't direct it, but yeah, that was that was his last the last film he was officially um uh, you know officially billed on. And that I remember watching that on a flight to the states, either for a Super Bowl or some or a game we were doing out there. And at the time, thinking this is great. I hadn't really heard of the it when it came out, and that reminded me. But I guess that because it had Seth. I think Seth Rogen was one of the, the directors and writers. So I guess that that's looking back and with Hughes being on the writing team, those films that look back at that era, like deliberately looking, and I guess it's that generation, our generation in particular, that were influenced by those 80s and 90s films. Oh. Sometimes I think, mate, that do we, are we falling into that trap of celebrating that era because it's the era that we grew up in and it was our formative years? Or is there, I like to think there's more to it than that because I, th- I think people from different generations watch Ferris Bueller or watch Uncle Buck or watch Major League and and completely resonate with, as you say, the feel-good factor of the film. Yeah, that's exactly it. The feel-good factor. You know, I remember watching License to Drive. <laughs> what a film. Yeah, isn't it? Goonies, yeah. Monster Squad. Uh, Stand By Me. Stand By Me. All great. Teen or, yeah. or, or pre-teen feel-good movies that were specifically yeah. targeted at that generation. Yeah. These days, you know, the movies that I kind of stumble upon because my daughters are watching it, it's just a lot of kids shouting at each other. Yeah. You know, and, and, and talking down to adults. You never get that in the 80s movies. The 80s movies, adults or senior figures are treated with respect. Whereas nowadays, the movies that I've, I've watched with our daughters the adults are, uh, are the ones that are picked on by the kids or yes. taught around to by the kids. Not yeah. even like High School Musical. I think D- Disney does it well. Uh, but other movies that I've, I've come across with our daughters, they're like, hang on a minute, you've got to show respect to the elders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, hadn't, picked, I hadn't picked that up. Okay, Major League goes on our list then. Uh, in the school of Wildcats, let's do a more, a more serious film. Not saying it's a better film, but... Yandy. type of film. <laughs> <laughs> Let's link Oliver Stone, I like, which is jamily linking this. It looks like it's been prepared, but it really hasn't. But uh, we mentioned Oliver Stone. Let's let's do any given Sunday because yeah, classic. I think it is. I think it is my favourite football movie. I think it's one of yeah. I'll throw that out there. I think it is one of the best sporting movies out there. I do, and I think it's really underrated because. I watched it again. I was doing a a, a piece on it quite recently, uh, and I, so I watched it again. I've seen it loads, but I hadn't watched it for a few years. Watched it again, and certain things really jump out. So it was made in '99, right? So over 20 years ago, it it completely stands up. Now it doesn't feel. I mean, if little bits feel a bit dated, but generally speaking, it doesn't feel like it's dated much at all. The football, unlike. Unlike Wildcats, <laughs> the football se- scenes in it are really, really on point, I think. And what I love about it is how completely on point the casting is. So you've got Pacino. I mean, Pacino would be great in pretty much anything, right? But yeah, he, that's he's, a given. <laughs> he's a, but I, I feel that's one of his 
one of it. I'm, I'm not going to go as far as to say it's one of his best roles necessarily, but it, it 58 year old aging grizzled coach with a drink problem and regrets. He just, he just nails it. Um, I think Cameron Diaz is really underrated in it. So she's the ball breaking young team exec that's inherited it from a dad that wants to make a name for herself and, and, and move the team from Miami to, to LA. And she's, she's great in it. And Margaret old school plays her mum, who's just drunk in every scene, which is great, yeah. but it's hard to do a good drunk. And she does a good drunk really well. And Mar- well, and Margaret who spent, uh, a lot of her, more youthful years in movies with Elvis. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, what an incredible history. Was she, she might've been in, was she the original Ocean's 11 as well? I think anyway, yeah, that, that kind of era. Um, so, and then you've got James Woods as the doc, um, a a really sort of morally ambiguous, (laughs) sleazy doc, perfect casting for him. I mean, all the way to LL Cool J is the, the running back with the ego that wants his bonuses. The thing that does it for this, let's cut to the chase. Let's get the elephant out the room. Yeah. Right. Lawrence Taylor plays himself. <laughs> he definitely plays himself. That's it. <laughs> Lawrence Taylor plays himself. Lawrence isn't acting. You know, certain films, certain directors just roll without any proper scripts and just they kind of role play it, but it's all kind of improv and, and see what happens. That's essentially what they did with, with Lawrence Taylor. And this Lawrence Stone just said, just, just run at him and speak. Is, and just do. <laughs> Michael Irving in it? Is what? Michael Irving? Yeah. No, Ter- Terrell Owens is in it. Terrell Owens. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and the uh, Jamie Foxx is one of his first breakout roles as well. And it's one of the other things I love about it is just it's quite without being pretentiously so. I love the way it's shot. It's in so it's in Miami, and you get that side of it. Uh, and of course, we were out there not so long ago. God, it feels like a long time ago for for, for the Super Bowl. But yeah, you got that. It, it kind of shows that uh, that glitz and the kind of art deco we were saying do you remember we were saying this at the super bowl i was surprised how much i like miami as a, as a city i mean obviously i love the team but i wasn't i wasn't sure what i think about it spending a long time there now as, as an adult working there and uh i really liked it a lot i really liked the the architecture of it just the feel of it The you had the art deco stuff you had that re- all the really exciting new stuff on the waterfront the split of two different cities i just i, I thought it was a terrific city i was surprised i liked it so much have you ever been on holiday there now not for a long time so not as a not no, i guess no only as only as a kid yeah yeah, yeah. My, miami's a great place for for a vacation but especially if you've got a family you've got to go a little bit further up right you know you've got to move up to kind of Boca raton i think it's called the, yeah the area up there uh and then you can dip your toe into Miami, you know. But not Miami's a bit crazy. One Super Bowl, um, when was it? We were in Atlanta, and we were in the same hotel as David Moyes. Yeah, and David Moyes was telling us about when he took when he took over at West Ham, and they used to go away on on these trips, and they would take the team away, you know, get isolated, bed themselves into an area get involved. And he said that the team had booked the Fontainebleau Hotel in Miami. And he thought, yeah, great. Loads of facilities, loads of the grounds. He got there and he, 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 he saw the hotel and he just kind of, I know we're on a podcast and I can't <laughs> say his exact words, but he put his head in his hands and just said to himself, 
oh, <laughs> and the lads got off and they were like, right, here we go, let's get involved. Hello, Miami. They'd arrived in Miami to a hotel that had four nightclubs in it. And the training facility was literally across the Because you road. need four. You need four, right? I four mean, not enough. One, yeah. In one hotel, I think it was. Yeah. And he said, all right, the best thing, way to approach this is let them go out. Let them go loose. So first night in Miami, he said, lads, get it out of your system. Off you go. But we will be training at 10 o'clock. And when I say training, trust me, we'll be training. So off you go. So some lads, he said, literally went from dance floor to kit room, kit room, to the pitch, practice pitch. And so we gave them the hardest training session they've ever had in their football in their lives. And they were, they were lads puking, like, oh, bending, falling all over the place. And he said, after that, everyone was in bed at 10. Really? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> Never that's again. That's what Miami offers you. Miami offers you everything you could ever dream for. Some of the best golf courses in the world. The beaches are unbelievable. Yeah. You know, Crockett and Tubbs are from there. What more could you ask for? That life, that is a complete city, just for that reason. Um, the, oh, I was thinking of something then as you were talking, the, uh, it's totally gone out of my head now. Well, but well, we, we've got to talk, if you're going to talk any given Sunday. Yeah. I want to know who wrote that speech and how many times it was edited. Yes. Uh, because, because when you talk about that film, everyone talks about that speech and that speech in itself is a standalone piece of audio that you can play many, many times, many times anywhere. Like you can, you can play it to yourself pre-exams. You can <laughs> play it to yourself pre-job interview. You can psych yourself up as, you know, first date. I actually, I, I, just before we start recording this pod, I, 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 <laughs> I dropped it just to kind of get, get me set. Um, there you go. You see, it, it's perfect. And I want to know, it'd be nice. I, I'm sure it's out there in this day and age. Everything's out there. But how many takes did it take to get it in the can? Yeah. How many times was it written? Had they stolen it from anywhere? I mean, I don't know. I've not researched it because I'd like to think that it was written and then just performed. Do you know what I mean? I think if there's a, you know, you can count on one hand actors where you would lay your house and that is probably what happened. And Pacino's one of them, right? If you think, yeah. I, he always wants to do it in one take, uh, and Stone probably wanted to get it in one take because that's going to be a speech like that, the most visceral, the most raw, have the most energy. And how, you know, I, I guess a great actor can bring it each time or most times and make it feel like the first time. But I reckon that if they, if they, could get it in, in the first time. I reckon they, they wanted to. I'm just looking it up now. I'm also, as I'm looking it up, wondering, you talk about how you use that, you can use that speech to motivate you in so many different ways. How many, how many ill-judged attempts at that speech from business execs, <laughs> <laughs> teachers, <laughs> decided to go for it, upload <laughs> it, Tory, Tory MPs. I remember some. I remember being in the huddle, team huddle at the Warriors, and someone, <laughs> one, said, "Don't get mad, get even." I'm like, "Who are you, idiot? You idiot. No, what? Where have you got that from?" <laughs> like the most commonly used phrase in sports ever. Don't get angry, <laughs> even. Like, you know, oh, that's great. Was it? It reminds me of um talking of planes trains when my favorite scene in planes trains is when they're on the on the coach and they're all singing songs 
And Steve Martin goes, okay, I got one, I got one. <laughs> Three coins in a fountain. One of them, <laughs> everybody just turns radio silence. And then Caddy drops, Floodstones, meet the Floodstones. <laughs> and everybody just, <laughs> so that was his three coins in a fountain. Don't get mad, get even. Yeah. Um, right, let's go to Twitter because we got uh, a ton of, of, we got a ton of films from. Uh, I saw that. Yeah, loads. So let's kind of, let's rattle through a bunch and, uh, uh, and see what we're missing. So Field of Dreams came up. Now that is, that is one of my all time favorites as well, yeah. because, and actually the listener who fired it in, I'm just trying to find, sorry, Haz, I'm just going to, should have been prepared here. Uh, Field of Dreams is Kevin Costner, right? It's Kevin Costner. So Field of Dreams is, is based on a book, uh, where Costner plays a, a farmer in middle America who hears these voices, if you build it, he will come and builds a baseball field in, in the middle of his farmlands. Everyone thinks he's gone mad. And it's all about who does come. And there are lots of different, there's a supernatural vibe to it. I think it's often a little bit misunderstood as a slightly kind of sci-fi, uh, you know, crazy town film. And actually, I think it's, it's, it's a lot more to than that. It's, again, a great cast. Um, James L. Jones is in it. Uh, he plays a reclusive writer. Ray Liotta's in it, uh, who plays Shoeless Joe Jackson who's part of the 1919 Black Sox team, the team that were banned from baseball baseball, and, and he never played again. And the story is that he accepted the money to throw the World Series, but didn't really understand what was going on because he wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. And, uh, and if you look at his performance in the World Series, he batted, I think, the highest average on either team and played brilliantly and, and clearly didn't, didn't underperform. But he never played again. That's one of the great tragedies, I think, in, in, in American sports in, in his prime and never, ne- was never forgiven. He's not in the Hall of Fame. So it's kind of, it's about redemption, really, the film. And it's not just them, although they're in it. It's the James L. Jones character. Uh, and of course, the father-son dynamic between Kevin Costner's character and his dad. And that is the, uh, that is a scene that just every time gets me. And that being a dad as well, now I watch it. I, I mean, if you, do you remember the scene in Ocean's 11, the remake of Ocean's 12, when Brad Pitt rocks up at, uh, at Clooney's, at Danny Ocean's door? And he says, have you been, have you been drinking and watching Oprah? Because <laughs> <laughs> Daddy Ocean has been drinking wine and watching Oprah. That's that is my equivalent. Watching Field of Dreams, I will I will go every time. What's the movie that makes you well up every time? Forrest Gump. I know it's not a sport movie. Well, no, there is. No way. There's, there's a there's a there's a you know I used to play for Alabama. Uh, uh, that's true. There is sport in it. Yeah, there is football in it. You know. Uh, and yeah, I, I I don't know. I just love the way that the story is told, mm. and obviously the cinematography in that movie Forrest Gump is just epic. And the first time I watched it, I walked away just in floods of tears. Mm. And I went to watch it the following day on my own because the first time was with a, with a girlfriend at the time, and I was kind of like pretending not to cry. <laughs> so I went back the following day on my own, watched it again. Yeah, and it just and it's been a, uh, it's been a regular on any device. Like I've had it from from VHS, DVD, downloaded it a thousand times. It's just a damn good movie. And every time mm. I watch it, I notice something different. Or About I it, yeah, I've never seen before. And you notice in Forest Gun, what's very clever, they never say. They always ask the viewer the question: What was wrong with Jenny? And you mm. see Forrest Gump's kind of, let's say, wife. You see her journey, so you think 
uh, did she die of cancer? Did she die of AIDS? Did she die of uh, depression? Did, you know, did, how did she pass away? And it asks those questions all the time. Mm. And it, it really does tug at the strings. But then when you step away, you just think, that is a damn good feel-good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the greats. And, and Hanks is one of the greats, isn't he? I mean, he, he, oh, you know, we're you. talking about film stars that, you know, he's up there, different different kind of actor, but up there with Pacino, I think, is, is one of the all-time great film stars for sure. Here we go, Field of Dreams. Oh, I, I, sorry, sorry, Nat, sorry to interrupt. Mm, I've been fortunate enough a couple of times to, during the T4 days, to interview Tom Hanks. Yeah. Uh, and he is exactly how you expect Tom Hanks to be. He's everything you've heard about Tom Hanks. Courteous, very, very generous, opens a conversation, starts a conversation, which is really important, I think, for, for a, someone who's sat opposite a megastar like that. Uh, and there was always an unwritten rule in junkets when you sit down. It's like a conveyor belt of interviewers. So let's say you're the star. I would come in. Next minute, Dave Berry from Absolute Radio would come in. Chris Miles from Radio X would come in. And you get all these people coming and interviewing the, the star of, of the movie. And Tom Hanks... There's an unwritten rule in junkets that you don't ask for autographs and don't get them to sign memorabilia. Mm. And because I literally fell in love with Forrest Gump, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him if he'll sign something. And I got him to sign just a DVD cover of of Forrest Gump. And he put on it, and it's up in the office. It says, hey, Vernon, congratulations on the gig. So it must have been one of my debut interviews on TV. Right, right. May your success and shine and star shine forever. How cool wow. is that? So cool. It's class. It's absolute class. And one thing that uh, Darren Fletcher and I's last trip to, it wasn't Miami, I think it was in Minnesota. Mm. And when you're on a trip with Darren Fletcher, as we mentioned earlier on, you have to go merchandise shopping. <laughs> so Darren will Google every merchandise shop in the city the Super Bowl <laughs> is being held. So we went on this tour of merchandise shops, and Darren's looking for something specific. I walk away with an Alabama 44 Gump jersey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. It's a classic. It's great to hear that about Tom Hanks as well. Uh, oh, there's, a, there's a brilliant book about Saturday Night Live, speaking of Saturday Night Live, as we did earlier, which is an oral history of it. So it has everybody that was ever involved with it, apart from Eddie Murphy. He's the only only person that didn't contribute, but, but everyone else, Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, in those, you know, golden years, and then Will Ferrell and that crew later on. And, you know, like a, you know, typical oral history, they, you get different perspectives of the same incident, right? So you hear yeah. this particular season or this episode of this season and or this guest host and, from the writers, producers, uh, uh, actors in it, kind of smash cutting between their perspective. And there's a chapter on Hanks, or at least Hanks, because he's a regular uh, guest host on it, appears in it. And everyone, to a person, said exactly the same thing. They said, he's there till, till 3 a.m. writing. They need pizza at 3 a.m. I'll go and get it. You know, just, just like the biggest yeah. stars of his, it, of his generation. It's so, so, so cool. So cool. One of my favorite interviews that I've done. And after, I think it was for the Polar Express, you know, the animation that he did. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, it wasn't really an animation. It was, what do they call it when you put on those suits and you've got that, it's like an animatronic type thing. Yeah. Uh, see, it was CGI. Video, video capture. I think it's. Yes. Called. Yeah. 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 Video capture. So I think that's what Polar Express was, video capture. Mm. And, uh, after that, we another mad one. Like this T four stuff that we did was just bonkers. 
we we did a junket for uh oh what was it oh the film that was about Leonardo da Vinci the fa- da Vinci uh, Code da Vinci yeah. <laughs> 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 That'd be the one. Yeah, well the Dan Brown book. Yeah. 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 That's it. The Dimension Code. Well done, that. Thanks, man. <laughs> you share. Yeah. <laughs> That's a classic. That yeah, a classic. so we did. But listen to this. Right? This is yeah. when movie companies had money, right? When they had cash. Mm. The junket for Da Vinci Code, we were told to be on platform, let's say, three at Waterloo at 7.30 in the morning for the junket. So we get on and let's say it's Warner Brothers. I don't know which uh, movie house it was, but they hired a whole train to take all the media, including the stars of Da Vinci Code, down to the south of France where the movie was going to be the opening movie for the Cannes Film Festival that year. Wow. we We get on the train, you get given breakfast, then you get given a time slot for each actor that you're going to interview. Uh, so you've got, I think it's, uh, it was the guy who played Leon. Uh, yeah, Luc Besson, Luc, no, Luc Besson was the director, wasn't he? Um, yeah, I, don't, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Jean Reno. Yeah. Jean Reno. You got, uh, Tom Hanks, obviously, and it was directed by your fellow from the Fonz. Oh, uh, Henry Winkler. No! <laughs> <laughs> Run out. <laughs> hey. hey. Yeah. And uh, so I walked in and that morning, I mean, the media just absolutely blew everyone to bits because it got panned. It got absolutely slated. I remember, yeah. Yeah. The reviews. And it was going to open the Cannes Film Festival. So Ron Howard is sat there with Tom Hanks. And originally we were supposed to do the, the interview separate. So it's Tom Hanks and then Ron Howard. But because of the reviews, Tom Hanks had taken it upon himself to sit next to Ron Howard, and you did them both together. And I remember walking in, and this is absolute class. This is the level of star that Tom Hanks is. I don't think he can get more air up his backside after this interview. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you can. Right. So I walk into the carriage, you know, bubbling along. I've got my daft haircut, thinking I'm Liam Gallagher, probably wearing a pair of Clark's Wallabies and some baggy jeans. <laughs> I sit down, and Tom Hanks says, hey, Vernon, how are you? Oh, wow. I'm yeah. like, oh, man. Yeah, that's close. Oh, man. Come on. And he turns to Ron Howard and he said, Ron, don't worry. We're going to have a great interview. This guy's awesome. Oh, uh, you must have been on cloud like, nine, man. I'm like, oh, my God. So not only did he have me in the palm of his hand, but yeah. he courteous, but also he'd managed to relax and feel at ease with Ron Howard, who'd obviously yeah. been had some absolute abuse from previous journalists. Mm. And you just sit there and you think, what a dude. What yeah. a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Great story. Just, yeah, getting, as you say, getting everyone calm, positive, happy. Yeah. With one, yeah. saying one thing. Yeah, a legend. Oh, that is great. That is a great story. Great to hear because he, he, he comes across like that. And, uh, you know, sometimes they say don't meet your heroes, right? But it's good to, good to do it sometimes. Let's, um, let's rattle through a couple on here. Yeah, and- apologies. Apologies. We digress. We, we really have, and uh, I've said at the top, we're going to have to do. We're going to have this will have to be a series. So, uh, all right, I'll go through a few. We'll do kind of one-liners on a few of them because there are tons, right? So, um, but field of dreams, I say that is definitely one of my all-time favorites. So, draft day. That now draft day came up a few weeks ago uh, with Matt when Marek Lard was on the show. Um, Marek wasn't a huge fan of draft day, but I've not seen it. 
Oh, okay. I've not, I've not seen it, but it's on it's on the list of things to watch on my travels because mm. uh, when, if a movie a movie like that, I don't like watching movies at the time that they're put out uh, because I think the reviews are still at the back of your mind. Mm. So with my dodgy memory, I've completely forgot of people's opinions of draft day. So I'll go back to it with a clear and open mind, okay. and I make my own decision of the film. Do you know what I mean? I will not. I will not take that perspective either way. Then I will keep shtum. Yeah. I'm not saying. I'm not saying a word of it. Oh, there's that's a whole. That's why I can. I can have my opinion on Adam Sandler movies. You see. <laughs> <laughs> just wait the the Sandler spate of uh, I can't believe you didn't like Uncut Gems alright uh, no, I, I, oh you did like it I, I did like Uncut Gems I thought it was absolutely brilliant I thought but, the end no spoilers the end blew me away yes yeah like, yeah, yeah unbelievable yeah. and yeah. I think his performance is epic and what I'm what I was getting at was all those daft comedy movies it's not a conventional Sandler movie just yeah just so to sure that he has got it in his in his locker yeah to yeah, be yeah. a superb actor yeah, I think there's certain actors like that as well that would digress you again, but you wonder, like, I wish Chevy Chase had been cast in a really dark role, you know, sort of as a baddie, but not in a kind of throwaway cable fashion. Guy. Cable guy, yeah. He would have been awesome at Cable Guy. Cable, that's a great shout. Because Robin Williams did it, didn't he? Robin Williams had the, whatever it was called, photo, one hour photo booth or whatever, you know. Oh, and yeah, and that... also the Pacino movie he did as well. The movie he did with Pacino, uh, which is set in Alaska. You know, the cop movie where, where he plays a baddie and Pacino's the cop who's after him. Oh, okay. Serial killer. That's it, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean... I can't remember could, Insomnia. It might be called Insomnia. a thousand podcasts about Robin Williams. That guy was... Oh, it really, really was. And the... I mean, again, we're talking... Uh, going full circle to what we were saying at the top of the of the show, that era of, of 80s and early 90s feel-good movies. Good Morning Vietnam. I mean... And again, talk about ad lib. I mean, how much of that was ad libbed? I mean, I reckon pretty much all of all of the stuff he was doing in studio there was just Robin. You got two minutes, just take yeah. it, take it away. Um, all right, uh, we got James uh, at the NC show. By the way, it's how you get in touch with us on social. Major League is in my top three all time. Fair play. Remember the Titans? He suggests. Remember Great the film. Titans. Great film. Yeah, that's that's one of those films that's always on Sky. <laughs> yeah. Remember the Titans. Uh, right. Do you remember Ryan Gosling in Remember the Titans? What's the, yeah. what's the yeah, Gosling five. line? Five player of the week, five weeks in a row, or what's the line? It's a oh, Gosling right. line. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan yeah. Gosling's in it. Uh, there's quite a few big actors that are, are in that movie. Obviously, Denzel Washington's in it. A great yeah. role. Great authoritarian. Uh, great football coach. And am I right in saying it's a true story? Or is that. Yes, it is. No, no, that's Actually, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and it goes through the racial unrest in the 60s. Uh, it's a great movie. Absolutely. It's a great it, Absolute lock, lockstep with you on that one. With that, Desert Washington is, a, is a, I mean, again, once in a generation kind of actor and brilliant in that role. Who do you think you as a player, and you played for years, of course, for the Warriors, which coach would you respond to more? Pacino in any given Sunday? Or Denzel Washington in Remember oh, the Titans? The, the Denzel character. Would you? Yeah, because I think the way that that character coaches football, if you watch it over and over again, it, he's coaching life lessons. Mm. He, he's guiding the young men through what society is all about, what it's like in the big bad world, mm. uh, by bringing black players and white players together 
in a in what was single race schools, no multi race school. Uh, he te- he's preparing them for everything off and away from the football field, mm. and that's very clever. And I think uh, from my experience playing football under Tony Allen, who's now the chief exec of the NFL Academy, uh, there is no one better to be in charge of the academy because that's what Tony Allen's like. Yeah. He's he's coached uh, on every level of football, British American football, European. Uh, he's a defensive line coach, I think, for the London Monarchs. Mm-hmm. He was uh, head of NFL International Player Development for 15 years. So he knows what players are like. He knows, and he can integrate that with life, you know. And even though he calls people bodies, I need more bodies. <laughs> Uh, I, I think he's, he's an absolute class act. Yeah, uh, he really is. Yeah, good guy. Yeah, He really is. He is, um, I mean, you obviously know him really well and played with him, but every time I've interviewed him and spent time with him, I think uh, that is exactly the phrase I'd use. He's a class act. All right, two more, and then we better get out of Dodge. Uh, the Natural with Robert Redford uh, says, Cattle Horan. Um, yeah, I've heard be- of that. The natural, oh, that's a great, that's a great film. Again, it's got a kind of supernatural vibe. Hang on, uh, like baseball make, movie, baseball movie. The, the natural, the natural with Robert Redford. All right, made in the seventies, and it has. He wasn't ugly, was he, Robert Redford? He could handle, he could, he could handle a camera, Robert Redford. Um, <laughs> he's still Robert Redford's like eighty-six years old, and he still looks better than, than most people. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Also, he says, uh, Cattle says, uh, has to be an honourable, honourable mention for Rocky. And especially its reincarnation is Creed. What's your favourite Rocky film, Vern? Oh, that is the million-dollar question. I reckon it's four. I reckon you're a Rocky Four guy. Rocky Four with Drago, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, liked it. I think, I'll be honest with you, I think my favourite Rocky film, because we get a true sense of what Stallone was trying to get across, is Rocky One. Yeah, right. Hey, right. Rocky One... Because it's raw, it's it's shot in Philadelphia mm. in those meat factories. For a kid, when I first saw that, that kind of sparked off my love for all things Americana. Really, one of those, yeah. one of the key moments. And yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because America had always been in movies to me. It always been palm trees, yeah, crashing oceans, beautiful scenery. But when you see it from that perspective. You know, the downtrodden back streets of, of, of Philly, all the railway yards, the grime, people proper working for a living. Yeah. I'm kind of like, oh, wow, America's very similar to, well, Philadelphia's very similar to Bolton, isn't it? You know, <laughs> people putting in some graft. Uh, it's a great point. It's a great point you make, though, because I think that's right. I think you know, we've talked about this a lot, the, the love of America it came from this technicolor thing appearing in it, and NFL definitely, but in so many ways. And you made, you mentioned earlier on that, and this, I remember the point I'd forgotten earlier on I wanted to make. When we were growing up and we had four channels, five channels, didn't have Sky, or, or most people didn't have Sky, didn't have the internet, obviously, or YouTube. Often a lot of the films that we're talking about just appeared. They were on at sort of 10, 15 at night, and that's what you, that's what you got to watch. And that, and that was yeah. it. And I, I think we've lost that. A a bit. I think there's so much choice now that I think, Things can things can get lost, and I think it's maybe one of the reasons why the the style of movie has changed a little bit too. All right, one for the right. One, one second, one a quick mm. football reference. Right, yeah. In Rocky, yeah. Even though he's from Philadelphia, why is his dog called Butkus? Butkus, I know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, unbelievable. And can you tell me what his turtles are called? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good pub quiz question. Yeah, 
Mike Carson asked me this the other day, and I didn't, I didn't know the answer. Go on. They are called. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. So I got cuff and link. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Double link. You know Stallone. Um, you, you, I'm sure you'll know this story, but one or two of the listeners might not. Wrote Rocky, right? And yeah, insisted he wanted to play Rocky, and he got offered a deal, like a buyout, and refused to sell the script unless he was cast as Rocky. So. Uh, it really held out when he was a, this was his breakthrough thing he was a struggling actor wow. hadn't, hadn't got anything going for him he was offered a serious amount of money for the script but we're going to cast someone else that we want to cast someone else he, to play Rocky he's been doing some amazing uh, Instagram not lives but answering fans questions on Instagram Stallone yeah Stallone and there was one and it was talking about you know obviously he's ripped and he was getting jacked but he was saying that uh, I think it was Rambo mm. He got his body fat percentage down, or it might have been Rocky Three, to two percent. <laughs> that's that's so dangerous. And he's saying, yeah, he's saying to to stay ripped and lean, he just keep taking these little carbohydrate cookies that were like this big and just popping them every five minutes to keep his like energy up. Like imagine that two percent body fat, like you. Bruce Lee apparently got down to one and a half percent body fat. Oh, bloody hell! Yeah, yeah. Um, Stallone, I can't. That like, he, it's, I mean, he's been at, top, at the top of his game for a while since Rocky, right? So what? Oh, 40, Absolutely. Years, but it's, if you weren't around in that era, when in the eighties, it was you know him and Arnie were just. I mean, they're just absolute megastars. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you on Cobra? The Stallone. <laughs> Stallone. No, no. I, I think my only quirky. Stallone film that I like is Over the Top. Ah, uh, Lincoln Hawk. <laughs> yeah. Over the Top. Yeah. I love it. I like the, the, the fact that he was a lorry driver. My dad was a truck driver. Ah, no way. Yeah. Lincoln Hawk. God, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of Lincoln Hawk for a while. All right. Um, last one from our listeners because there were so many that came in and I wanted to throw out a few because I massively appreciate it. Uh, well, there's a lot of love for Bull Durham, which we haven't talked about. So we talked about other baseball movies. And it's one of those films. Can I, I'll throw this out there. This is, this is my Jack Black moment for you, Vern. Right. Everybody loves Bull Durham. Every time there's a list of the greatest sporting movies of all time, Bull Durham, Bull Durham. Now, I'm not going to go as far as to say I think it's a bad film, but it just doesn't do it for me in the same way. Pretty much all the other films we've talked about, <laughs> including no, I Cobra. It. I get it. I get it. That's, you with that, me? Yeah, I get it. No, I, I, and I think that's what's good about, Silly statement, but that's what's so good about movies is that everyone's got different opinions of totally uh, agree. what's a good movie and what isn't a good movie. Like one of my favourite movies of all time is Convoy. Convoy, uh, Convoy, Chris Christopherson. Yeah, it's. I'm, oh, I was thinking of Duel. Where is it? He, it's kind of. Yeah. yeah, kind of. What's Convoy? It's basically Chris Christopherson is a, a truck driver travelling from east to west coast America. Built a reputation as this kind of dude. Uh, and then an incident happens where an incident happens in a, in a truck stop where it all mm. kicks off. And Ernest Borgnine is the guy who plays policeman. Right? So you know what kind of story it is. Yeah. Uh, and they're then on the run and this massive convoy of trucks is formed. And then the rest is history. It's a Brilliant. great, great film. I will look that up. I'll write that in turn. I'll, I'll knock that one down. Convoy, never seen that. That's, you're right. That's the great thing is it, they are, films do polarize and, and you can discover stuff all the time. And that's, I guess, the point of this pod. We've gone through films that I'm sure 
a lot of our listeners will have seen, but there'll be a lot of films we talked about that a lot of our listeners won't have seen. So go and discover them. Look them, look them up. Enjoy them. We've got to do more of, the, more of this because there are about 8,000 films we, have, we haven't even, we haven't exactly. even thought about. Uh, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll re-up this one another time. Uh, just quickly, before we let you go, mate, you mentioned the pod, the fumble uh, earlier on with, with you and Fletch. That's going strong. All good there? Yeah, yeah. We, we kind of, we do it on and off, you know, because we, we're kind of, uh, we do it for ourselves. So whenever we, we feel the need to just open up the mics, we just let it go. And it's been so much fun. Uh, and what I've loved about it is, like, Darren is obsessed by facts and stats. Obviously, mm-hmm. when he's doing his BT Sports and he's commentating on the Premier League or the Champions League, he's got to have facts and stats readily available. And I think he's got some, he must be, a member of some secret kind of group of people that just find statistics and bury them and get rid of them. Like the <laughs> government agency that's like, oh, we can't release this. You said Fletch is in the Illuminati. <laughs> is that, is that what yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like the Freemasons of statistics. <laughs> okay. uh, and he, he, he comes out with these numbers and you think, oh my God, they're unbelievable. And he's like, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm obsessed by his obsession, obviously, as, we, as we've heard throughout this podcast. It, uh, his obsession with memorabilia is, mm. like, next level. I thought I was obsessed by weird and quirky pieces of memorabilia or merchandise, but Darren is unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Love it. Fumble is available on all good podcatchers, so go and check that out. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Oh, all right, all right. We cannot mm. stop Nat mm. talking movies, mm-hmm. right? We haven't mentioned my favourite. I said there were two. You did. I'm remiss of me. Yeah. Okay. So there was Wildcats. What, yeah. What's the other one? Mean Machine with Burt Reynolds. How could I? Come I, I on. Holding my head in shame. <laughs> I thought when you were when you were dropping the tash. At the, at the top, I thought it was, uh, you know, I didn't sell it. I should have obviously gone Reynolds, right? That's, uh, that's really that Uncle, Uncle Rico. <laughs> Uncle Rico. So Mean Machine, yeah, yeah. Machine. Educate, educate our listeners on right, the Mean so Machine. Mean Machine is about this guy, all-star quarterback who hits the bottle, gets arrested, gets put in a slammer. But he gets put in a specific slammer because the guy who is in charge of this jail runs a semi-professional football team. And he wants Paul Crew, which is the Burt Reynolds character, to play quarterback for a team of prisoners to test the mettle of the team of guards. And the rest is history. And it's got some great, great cast members. So Burt Reynolds is in it. Richard Keel, who played Jaws, is in it. Remember him? Yeah, from the Bond films, yeah. Yeah. Ray Nitschke is in it, who played for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, right. Uh, you've got loads of footballers who we won't know, so I won't name them, but it's rinsed with professional football players. So it's basically it's, it's escape to victory. It, it, kind of. Because that of. had a lot of pros in it as well. And that had the prison guards versus yeah. versus the players. It's got that yeah, kind of vibe. And, and like the, the football version that came out after with Vinnie Jones is nothing compared to the American football yeah. version of The Longest Yard with Burt Reynolds. And I know they did a remake with our dear friend Adam Sandler. Yeah, <laughs> yes, they did. That's also not on your, on your favourite list. It doesn't compare to the original with Burt Reynolds. What an absolute god. And Burt Reynolds played college football, and I think he was drafted by the Indianapolis Colts. Did Reynolds play football? Was, it he, was Reynolds in a sitcom? Is that a sitcom that he was in? Was that based on you yeah, know what I mean? I'm the sure, 80s? I'm sure Burt Reynolds used to play or was a professional a football. footballer. Yeah. 
what was the sitcom he was in? Do you remember it? So because when he did Me Machine, talking to Goldie Hawn earlier, and her uh, apex, I guess, of her career was exactly when she made Wildcats. That's the same. Reynolds was the the biggest star in Hollywood in the seventies, right? When they made Me Machine, and yeah. then he made a he made a sitcom. Uh, oh, here we yeah. go. Uh, he attended Florida State University on a football scholarship and played halfback. See, I think that's important. A lot of people say this about Costner as well, that one of the reasons why, if you think about all the sporting films Costner's made, so Field of Dreams we mentioned in Bull Durham, uh, Draft Day, although he, he's the GM in that. Um, Tin Cup is, is another one. He's just a really credible athlete, Costner. You cast him and you got to believe he's, he, you know, it's like casting you, Vern. Like if you cast you in a film, you'd be, be credible particularly with the tech. <laughs> you think, okay, this guy, this guy, I can, I can believe it. Whereas maybe that was one of the, like with Varsity Blues, was that one of the issues with, uh, with Van Der Beek, with, with Dawson, that you just didn't quite buy him as a, oh, that's as a quarterback? Don't mention Dawson's Creek. That was the bane of my life for six years. The bane of your life? Yeah, when we was on T4. I t- we had, they oh, made God, it yeah, yeah. I think it was only on for the first two years of my T4 career. But oh my goodness me! I, I, I just didn't get it at all. But because you have, you have to have what you had to watch it. Had to you? watch it. So because we were live, uh, and in case we had to fill and chat about the program that was either coming up or the program that had been on before, yeah, we had to have extensive knowledge about Hollyoaks, Dawson's Creek, The Simpsons, Pop World, you know, all the shows that yeah. were on. They made us watch. Yeah. Regular. I'm like, oh, Dawson's Creek. I just didn't get Dawson's Creek at all. Everyone talked very, very fast all the time, and they talked like they were 45 year old professors from Harvard. <laughs> yeah. Teenagers, you know, whatever they very, were. Very strange, yeah. sure. Very strange, sure. Let's end it on Evening Shade. That was the Bruce, uh, Bruce, the Burt Reynolds sitcom from the 80s, where he played uh, a former professional footballer in that as well. Woodrow Wood Newton retires to his hometown of Evening Shade. Oh, okay. Uh, 90s sitcom tech, to be, to be precise. There you go. So dig that out as well. Yeah. On the Reynolds tip. Loving your work, but It's great to get out. I, I was looking forward to this and I knew it'd be yeah. a lot of fun and absolutely <laughs> lived up to the hype. So appreciate that, man. Um, as I say, the fumble, go and check that out on all good, uh, podcatchers. It is also a lot of fun. Look after yourself, man. Come and check it soon. Yeah. Love to the family. Likewise, mate. Take care. See, See you soon, you. bud. Lovely stuff from Burn. Uh, ooh, there are so many more movies that we didn't even think about, let alone the ones we just scratched the surface that we will have to go back. We'll have to do another one. I spot a sequel. I spot a franchise. We will be doing more movie pods. You can guarantee it. I hope you're enjoying these extra pods that we are doing over the lockdown period. We're going to keep them coming thick and fast. Some terrific guests lined up over the coming weeks. If you haven't heard it already, Neil Reynolds dropped by uh, for a pod earlier in the week. So go and check that out. Download that. And if you haven't already, make sure wherever you're listening to us, you subscribe so you won't miss a trick. Thanks to Bird. We will check in with you very, very soon. Take care for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.